Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. We are officially underway in the 2019 MLS season, and after week one in the books, the New England Revolution remain undefeated. Uh, we will wake up Monday morning with a zero in the loss column, a beautiful sight. Uh, enjoy it, Revs fans. I'm not sure how long we'll be able to say that, but it feels really good to say, so we might as well take advantage of it while we can. Uh, as you all know by now, the Revolution opened the 2019 season with a 1-1 draw against FC Dallas. Uh, the day didn't get off to a good start after Captain Michael Mancien was hurting uh, pre-game warm-ups, and uh, it got even worse after the 13th minute when Michael Barrios put uh, Dallas up two, uh, sorry, <laughs> he put him up one nothing early, uh, but Carlos Gil saved the day with his uh, first career MLS goal in his debut in the 57th minute, and the Revs fought to a tough 1-1 draw. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, um, Brad Friedel for the second year in a row opens the season with an interesting lineup. Uh, Brad Knighton got the starting goal. Matt Turner has fallen out of the 18. Uh, no Luis Caicedo in the lineup. No Diego Fagundes in the lineup. Um, we're going to start out with a listener question from James Downing. Uh, what was the biggest surprise to you for this starting lineup from Brad Friedel? So for me, I think I knew it wasn't going to be Turner starting this game based on the preseason, or at least that was the, you know, the strong feeling I had. I thought you know maybe it would be Cody Cropper, um, but I guess Brad Knighton was the safe choice. So that move didn't shock me. Um, the, you know, to be fair, the, the Fagundes move not starting didn't completely shock me. That was another position that I, you know, had some questions about based on what Friedel did in, uh, in preseason. The, the one that really shocked me was the Hebo getting the start over Caicedo. Um, I think those who listen to this podcast know, you know, how I feel about Zahibo and his ability to, you know, kind of lose guys on, on set pieces or fail to track people, track guys back. And, you know, his skill set didn't necessarily strike me as, you know, one that you'd want out there against a, a Dallas team that can, you know, use, has a lot of pace in midfield and can really run at guys. And, you know, it didn't really strike me as, as something that, that made sense tactically wise to have, tactical wise to have Zahibo out there over Caicedo. So that was the, the one move that really shocked me. And, you know, I thought Zahibo was okay. Um, he picked up a yellow card and had a couple other fouls that, you know, were, were, were borderline that um, perhaps, you know, would have given some worry to, to Friedel to think about subbing him out. Um, but, you know, overall, I thought he did better than I was expecting out of him. And, you know, there weren't any you know major gaffes at the same time. I, I did think that, you know, the speed of, of Dallas caused him some problems and he wasn't the best fit out there. So, you know, all, all things considered, there were a few surprises um, from from Friedel out there. But the, the biggest one to me would be Caicedo, who I thought was one of the revolution's best players last year, um, not playing in a guy like Zahibo, who you know, was one of the guys that, that struggled a bit last year getting the start. Yeah, it's interesting because we've kind of been talking about who to pair with Caicedo, uh, Sahibo or Caldwell, and it turned out that Caicedo was the odd man out. Um, it should be noted it came out after the game that Luis Caicedo, I guess, was a little banged up. He wasn't fully healthy. Um, he wasn't listed on the injury report. And so when the lineups came out, it was a really, really big surprise. But with with a little more context, I guess it makes sense that Luis Caicedo uh, was or, – or Caicedo won, I guess we call – uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo, Caicedo 2. So I'm going to call uh, Luis Caicedo, Caicedo 1. Uh, it's interesting. It, it makes sense that Caicedo 1. We only saw him for a couple minutes. But, um, yeah, it, it also makes sense why we didn't see Zahibo leave the game earlier. Uh, he really struggled this game. 60% pass accuracy. Not that passing is his strong suit. He had 51 touches, uh, four tackles. Um, but he, he also got a, a yellow card early in that first half. And 
he he was he was he's a very physical player. Um, he, he didn't commit any boneheaded fouls in the second half. He was very disciplined. But uh, I think everyone on Twitter at, at the time—I don't know about you, Sean—but I was also watching uh, Zebo with bated breath, uh, hoping he did not uh, earn that second yellow, which it kind of felt like we were just around the corner from doing. So, yeah, it, interesting to see Caicedo not in the lineup. It, it makes a little bit sense now with some additional context. But um, when the lineups came out, that was a huge, huge surprise to me. So I, I think going forward, we will see Caicedo in the lineup, wouldn't you think? I would, I would assume so. Um, but the other thing that surprised me was that when Caicedo did cam- come on, it was for for Caldwell over the heat albeit it was you know garbage time at that point when he came on. But uh, it's it just interesting, you know, decision. Uh, you mentioned the context of you know perhaps him being injured, uh, but it still surprised me that you know even for the few minutes he did play, it was in place of, of Caldwell rather than Zahibo. I'm trying to find the stats here because I I don't remember. Zahibo's passing in the first half being anywhere near that poor. Um, so to see his end of game, you know, passing be 60.5%, I'm trying to figure out what his second half passing statistics were. So if I can get that, I'll, I'll let you know. But um, I hadn't even realized how poor his, his passing numbers were until uh, just now when you're mentioning it. Well, and, and the other thing, too, about that sub, and we'll get into the subs kind of at the end, was that Caicedo came on in stoppage time. I, I, I don't think they made a sub until the 76th minute. Yep, Diego came on for Juan Agadell in the 76th minute, and then one uh, or, or Luis Caicedo came on or Caicedo one came on in the 90th minute for Caldwell. So really, he was only in there for one or two minutes, um, I, I, which is again for a guy that's not listed on the injury report. Um, we hadn't really heard a lot about Caicedo one being injured throughout the preseason or, or nothing significant. So for him only to get two or three minutes from a guy that you thought was a real cornerstone of this lineup um, is a pretty big shock to me and. Yeah, a, a, a bit of a confusing, head-scratching move uh, in, in my book. And and just to, to finish my thought from earlier, Zahibo was 9 of 20 in passing in the second half. So 45% passing in the second half. Um, because, I, like I said, I, at halftime, I don't think his passing numbers are that bad. So to, to fall to 60%, um, now you know why. 9 for 20. Um, but no, the, the point you make about the substitutions is... As, as a good one. Um, I think a lot of people went into the season thinking the revolution had a, a lot of depth at some positions, certainly, you know, attacking. Um, and certainly with a guy like Diego Fagundes, you would have thought the revolution would have made a, a sub a bit sooner than that, especially in a, you know, a difficult road game, just to get fresh legs out there. Uh, so that was, you know, again, if you talk about surprising lineup decisions, that was probably one of the, the most surprising ones as well. If they waited till the 76th minute and then only, you know, subbed in Fagundes um, until that stoppage time sub of Caicedo, uh, you know, left a lot of other guys in the, on the bench. There was talk that Jones might be coming in at some point, but that didn't happen. Um, you know, Rennix, who had a good preseason, didn't see any time. You know, Buchanan made the bench. He didn't see any time. Um, and, you know, again, when you, you talk about the Zahibo situation, if Caicedo, you know, wasn't ready, also speaks to the Revolution's depth problems that they didn't have somebody else that could, you know, step in and, and give some minutes there if there was, a you know, a worry that Zahibo might pick up a second yellow card. Um, so I, that is another big storyline, I think, is the, the lack of substitutions. And, um, you know, you mentioned Mansan going out. Certainly there were no defensive subs whatsoever on the bench. Uh, so, so there was, you know, no question. We, I think we knew and talked about last week the Revs had a lack of, of depth defensively. Um, but the lack of subs in general tells me that, you know, maybe Friedel doesn't think, you know, in other positions they have that much depth either, or at least not depth that's ready to step up yet. We'll, we'll get to kind of the bench and the 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 rest of the 18 that filled out because I think there's a, a lot of interesting notes we can make about just the bench. Um, but I, I do want to get to a point that you touched upon, which is my biggest surprise was that Diego Fagundes was moved to the bench. Um, certainly Diego has been uh, 
a big headline throughout this offseason, um, really since the season finale last season when his dad slash agent uh, made a comment that it might be his last game. Um, there was ties to Uruguay. There were a bunch of stories coming out, um, and it, he had a pretty solid preseason. I think we, we noted have noted in previous episodes that Diego has uh, played pretty well coming into this year. Uh, but coming into game one, the lineup came out. Teal Bunbury was moved from striker where he played primarily last season to the right wing and Juan Aguatello switched from right wing uh, up to the striker position. And Diego Fagundes was the odd man out. Um, Sean, I, I don't want to say that took me off by surprise too much because we've talked about how there's maybe too many cooks in the kitchen and they have some attacking depth uh, up front. But um, I was pretty shocked that Diego, after all of the noise from the off season, he, he's moved to the bench. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, because you're either, you know, and just last week, Mike Burns had some comments about how they're trying to re-sign him, uh, how they're trying to keep him with the revolution long-term, uh, for a disgruntled player who I, I feel has the quality to be a starter in the MLS. Um, I was surprised he started the season on the bench. Uh, I'm willing to give it a few more weeks. Maybe this was just for tactics, but what's your reaction to Diego Fagundes on the bench? And, and do you think this is potentially the starting 11 going forward where Diego is the odd man out? So I, I agree it was surprising. The only reason it, it didn't shock me was, you know, just based on what I was seeing in preseason. I thought Diego Fagunas had, you know, at least from what we saw in the games we could watch and the, the highlights we could watch the other games, I thought he had a good preseason. Um, but what we saw in the, the last few games, it, it wasn't Fagundes getting the start. And he was the guy that got pulled off first when they had that rough game against Orlando. And then he didn't start in the final game of the preseason. And, you know, actually going back and looking at the lineup against uh, Rekovic, the starting lineup for the Revolution in that game was the starting lineup for the Revolution in this game, with the exception of Mancien, who you know went down injured, and Andy Bob had to fill in there. So it, it looked like that, um, you know, Friel kind of gave away a starting eleven in that final preseason game, which you know, makes sense to to get those guys a, a run out if that's who's going to be your starter. Um, but you know, I think if, if you know if everyone's healthy, I think it might be you know some more Bunbury on the right. I, I, with that said, I don't think Bunbury had a particularly good game, um, so there's every opportunity for for Fagundes to step up. But I don't think this was a, you know a tactical decision of Friedel of, of seeing Dallas and, and putting Bunbury out there. I think um, you know he went into the season thinking that Bunbury was gonna gonna start there. Um, you know, again, with that said, I, I do think that you know Bunbury's performance you know, opened up a door for Fagundes to step back in there because I don't think it was anything special. Well, and and I would say Bunbury and Juan Agadello didn't have great games. Um, I, and, and I mentioned Juan Agadello when he was subbed off. Um, I mentioned his stats. He had no shots, 80% pass accuracy, which, which was fine. Um, but I think he had three or four bad touches. Hang on one second. Uh, four times dispossessed, uh, three bad touches, which out of your starting striker who you've re-signed for a multi-year deal, you really don't want to see that type of performance coming out of Juan Agadello. So I think he was probably the biggest disappointment of the night. Teal Bunbury returning to the right wing also was a bit of a let off. Um, I'm willing to give this as maybe a bit of a one week type of thing. It seemed like the ground yesterday was not great. It seemed like a really sloppy performance from everyone pretty much around the field on both sides. Uh, But Juan Agadello and Teal Bunbury for playing what I think was their ideal positions, you know, at least it was two or three years ago, um, neither of them really stood out. So I, I wonder how safe their jobs are with Diego Fagundes and some other young guys on the bench. Yeah, and honestly, I think Bunbury is still more comfortable up top. And the thing that surprised me um, when Fagundes came on was I, I assumed Fagundes was going to go to the right and Bunbury was going to go up top. But at least, you know, for most of that time, it looked like Fagundes was kind of playing as a false nine. 
Um, so, uh, you know, maybe Friedel really doesn't see Bunbury as the starting striker this year, which is, or at least as a striker this year, which is interesting given that, you know, he was the starting striker for most of last year and, you know, got 11, 12 goals for this team. Um, so I don't really know what changed there, but I, I figured when Fagundes came onto the pitch, it would be Bunbury moving up top. And instead it was Bunbury, you know, staying wide right and Fagundes, you know, sort of playing as a striker, sort of playing as a false nine um, for the you know the last 14-plus minutes of that game. So that was another kind of interesting decision there, and I'm not sure you know what that says about Bunbury's chances of, of playing up top before going forward. And I think, like a lot of people, I was a little disappointed that Bunbury kind of put out this performance that wasn't great. Um, I'm not going to hound him too much because, again, one week, bad ground, away game, you know, okay. Uh, but I, I kind of thought in the closing minutes, uh, Brad Friel had all these subs on the bench, um, we didn't see uh, Tayon Buchanan. We didn't see Justin Rennicks. And both of those guys can play striker or the wing. I thought maybe it would have been good to get those guys some a couple minutes just to kind of get some fresh legs on the, the field. Um, but it, I think it does warrant a bit of a discussion uh, about the bench. Um, and for those of you that don't remember uh, the, the people that were in the 18 that didn't start, Luis Caicedo, Diego Fugundes, Cody Cropper was the uh, goalkeeper. Uh, Dewan Jones was essentially the backup fullback from what I understand, and then Tayon Buchanan and Justin Rennicks. Um, One name that is missing is Isaac Anking. Uh, Sean, were you a little surprised we didn't see Anking, especially since Diego Fagundes, Tayon Buchanan, and Justin Rennicks all kind of play the same position? Yeah, very. I thought it was a a very redundant bench in a lot of ways. There were a lot of guys on there that, you know, you're not going to bring all three of those players on in any situation, so why don't you have... You know, and, and Isaac Anking, that's more of a central guy. And I'm not sure if Anking would have been, you know, the best bet to replace the Hebo if they needed to bring someone on earlier for that. But I, I think he would have been a better bet than than any other option if Caicedo wasn't uh, ready to go enough minutes there. Uh, so that was something that, that certainly surprised me a bit was that he wasn't on the bench and, and all those guys, um, you know, all those rookies were because you know, I think we've discussed before that Anking looked pretty good last year in, in limited minutes. Um, so I expect him to play a bigger role this year. And, and you know, based on this game, maybe that's not going to be the case. Um, but, you know, you also mentioned Dewan Jones being on the bench. Uh, I, th- I thought there was an opportunity, you know, if you know someone was going to come in for Teal, that maybe it could have been him. If, you, if you're thinking of him as kind of your de facto backup fullback, um, you know, to be that role, then maybe he's a guy that you think about bringing on to, to add a little bit more defense, even with, with Bunbury at the end of the game. Certainly, you know, we know how fast he is. And the hope is when you have a guy with that much pace, if you were to even bring him on in the, the 90th minute, that maybe he could cause some some damage and we saw him do some cause some damage in preseason with his pace so um again i I don't know why you you know save subs in this one unless you really don't have much faith in in those guys that were left on the bench no i I absolutely agree um another thing too while we're talking about dewan jones um and and we touched on this last week i don't think a lot of people are surprised to see gabriel somi not in the uh 18 but we we've talked about the lack of depth uh, we've talked about uh, along the back line. Uh, we talk about, you know, Somi, they kept him. Uh, they, they didn't buy out his contract last uh, last week. Uh, some some teams were in the news for buying out some players and clearing some uh, salary cap space before going into the season. Uh, Gabriel Somi was not one of them. Gabriel Somi apparently will be with the Revolution throughout 2019 and immediately is back on the shelf for the Revolution, which we, we expected. We talked about that last week. Um, but, Sean... Uh, I mean, Dewan Jones was a winger at Michigan State six months ago, and Gabriel Somi was a um, pretty big signing for this team last year. Um, I know it's not really a surprise, but does this kind of say that Somi's week one, we're already burying him as out of the 18 for the season? 
I mean, I think yes. And, you know, last week I talked about that I thought they would buy him out and they didn't buy him out. And I also talked about that I thought, you know, Jones was ahead of him on the depth chart already or probably would be. And I think this kind of shows that he is. You look at last year and, you know, how he was buried after, you know, mid July, how he didn't make the 18 anymore. And um, even, you know, Segbert seemed to be ahead of him on the depth chart. I you don't know if Dielna was because we didn't really see him either, but he was, Segbert was ahead of him. Rowe was ahead of him at left back. You know, pretty much anyone that had any slight ability to, even consider contemplating playing that position was ahead of Gabriel Somi in what was supposed to be his best position. Um, and what at the start of last season, he was the second highest paid player in the league at, at left back. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a bit shocking that in a game like this, um, you know, where there's so little depth defensively, where, you know, Andy Baba was the only guy on the bench and then Mancian gets hurt, so then the only defender on the bench. Um, so there is no defender on the bench at that point. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no fullback depth. It's, it's Jones who has played very little fullback, um, had a few moments in preseason where he got to, you know, Brad Friedel talked about last week that they, they asked if Jones was going to be right back. And he's, you know, didn't, he said, basically said no, but never say never essentially. Um, so, <laughs> you know, the fact that he couldn't make the 18 in this game, if he can't make the 18 in a game where Andrew, where Andrew Phil is out, um, and there's no other fullback depth, you know, I don't see what's going to ever get him into the 18. Um, and like I said last week, the, the preseason decisions to not even give him a sniff at when any of the, you know, in any of the games where the first team seemed to be playing, you know, kind of tells you, um, you know, where Brad Friedel's head is when it comes to Gabriel Somi. Um, but again, if he's not playing in this game, why didn't they buy him out? Why didn't they save the international spot? Why didn't they save that $425,000 in cap space? You know, what is he doing on the roster? I don't get it. And yeah, well, I, I agree with everything you said. And we talk about the um, lack of depth along the back line. It kind of came around uh, in a big way, you know, right, right away with Ma- Michael Mancien moving out um, and Julia Anibaba moved into the uh, starting lineup. I thought he played very well. But um, as of right now, we don't know how long Michael Mancien is out. Sean, what's the emergency situation? I mean, if Mancien is out for two, three weeks, Andrew Farrell is out until April, according to the Revs broadcast yesterday. Um, so, I mean, they have Gabriel Somi as a backup left back, who they obviously don't have a lot of confidence in. Um, they have Dewan Jones as a converted right back. Um, but at center back, they're kind of lost. Any idea what you th- think they can do going forward? Do you think maybe they try to convert Zahibo as a center back if need be? I mean, maybe they rethink the, the Giles Phillips thing and, and bring him in this week just as, as an emergency and try to keep him for six months or whatever now that they're, they're so thin on depth. Um, you know, I, I had a discussion with, with Julian Cardillo on, on Twitter, um, and he kind of discovered that Castillo had played a couple games at left back in his career, which isn't shocking given how long he's been playing. So, you know, I mean, at center back in his career, um, I don't think he's a great option, but I think if, if you're absolutely desperate, maybe you move Castillo into the middle and have Jones start at left back, which is, you know, a pretty horrible situation. Um, maybe Zahibo plays center back or Caldwell. I, I, I don't really know. Caicedo, um, Zach Haravu, could you put him back there? Um, all of those options are horrible. Uh, so the fact that the revolution on you know opening day were in that situation where if anything happened to De La Mare or any Baba, they were you know in, in serious trouble is is a little bit worrying. Um, you know we were concerned about the revolution's depth certainly and for for obvious reasons, uh, and just to see it come to light in opening day um, was a bit shocking. And you know they they knew going into the preseason that or going into the off season that they didn't have great defensive depth. They got rid of you know Dielna, Segbers didn't come back. Um, I think they were already thin even with that before, you know, going into the offseason. Uh, so the fact that they didn't really do anything to address it other than, than trade for Castillo and in, in trading for Castillo, they were really trading a guy that was playing left back anyway. So it wasn't really, you know, getting rid of, uh, you know, a different position for a left back. It's, it's kind of shocking that they're in this position now because they 
you know, they knew they needed help. There was no way they didn't know they, they needed help in depth at this point. Makes you second guess whether or not they should have re-signed Christian Machado, who, as we all know, can play four different positions, can play all <laughs> along the back line, and he can play. In the oh, yeah. Field. Uh, so the, the only other thing I guess we need to talk about regarding the lineup was, and I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this, but uh, we did talk a lot last week about the goalkeeper competition, and you mentioned it's we, we weren't really surprised about Brad Knighton starting. I think all you, – you said Cody Cropper, and me and Seth said Brad Knighton would start a goalkeeper. Um, really tough day for us here at Revolution Recap. We are a pro Matt Turner podcast. Hopefully he does get a shot uh, at another point in the season, but um, Brad Knighton – not a huge uh, workload for him yesterday. Um, I don't think he could have done a lot about the goal uh, that was conceded. Um, he had a couple of uh, – he had a really, really nice uh, save on – I think it was Hollingshead had a, had a ripped shot that was uh, kind of right at him. He was well positioned. Um, outside of that, not a huge amount of highlights for Brad Knighton. But uh, first uh, opening day start for him in 12 seasons. Um, I, I think he had a solid game overall. Uh, I expect him to start next week. Uh, what are your thoughts, John? Do you think there's any change in the uh, goalkeeper depth chart going into next week? I, I don't, but I really thought this game was kind of a, a mixed bag for Knight, and I don't really think he could have done much more on the goal. Um, but there were some shaky moments. There was that shot that was blocked by Annie Baba that, for some reason, Knighton didn't catch oh, it. Right. He punched straight he punched up into it. the air. Yeah, yeah. And, and that could have been a disaster. I think he was lucky to get away with it. I thought his distribution was pretty horrible. Um, his passing was 25%. He, you know, most of his... A lot of long distribution. He was three for 15 on, on attempts for, for long balls. There was one late in the game. I remember where he you know, punted forward and it went right to uh, a Dallas player and kind of gave him a chance to, to score one late. Um, so, I, you know, I, there were a lot of room. There's a lot of room for improvement. I think we, you know, we know that distribution isn't Knighton's strong point. Um, with that said, you know, Turner had an awful preseason. I don't think Knighton did enough to, you know, lose the job to, to him. And I don't think, again, you know, it's interesting that Cropper made the 18, but I still don't think um that's gonna get switched next week um again though with that said i i think knighton you know you'd hope for a better performance from him next week in, in some of those areas if he's gonna stay the starting goalkeeper long term yeah a very interesting lineup this week I, I expect to see some changes next week uh that i'm sure we'll we'll discuss uh next sunday but goalkeeper i don't think is one of them i, I think brad knighton has done enough to secure his uh start in week two and and just for uh, some extra commentary on the dis- distribution. Uh, Knighton ended the game with 25% pass accuracy uh, and a 6.4 rating on who scored. So those numbers don't really show a whole lot uh, of positives, but I-, I think Knighton overall did pretty well when he was called upon, uh, excluding that uh, punch, which I'm still kind of confused on uh, what was <laughs> what was going on there. So um, moving on to probably the man of the match, according to 100% of Revs fans, uh, making his debut was Carlos Hill. Uh, pretty much the only strong player on the pitch yesterday. He seemed to be playing at a different speed compared to everyone else. Uh, three shots, uh, two shots on target. They were the only two shots on target for the Revs. Uh, two key passes, a 77% pass accuracy, uh, who scored rating of 7.4. Uh, and of course, the only goal for the Revolution uh, in the 57th minute, a really nice <laughs> low professional shot that kind of somehow got through three different players. Uh, and and really, you just kind of felt that he was going to score from that range. He had the time and he delivered a, a really strong shot um sean what's your first impression here yeah the, the one thing i want to say quickly is i do think you could make a case for annie baba being man of the match but you know i 
perfectly understand why why Gill um, was the close to unanimous choice there. Uh, I thought he had a, a good performance. I didn't think the Revolution got him the ball enough in the first half. They seemed to find a, do a better job of kind of feeding him in the second half. Um, there were times in the first half I thought he was pushed a bit too far forward, which was part of the reason he didn't get the ball as much as, as you had hoped. And I think we saw that in preseason a bit. And I think in the second half he you know got a little bit deeper to get more of the ball. And you know, he showed he could beat guys in the dribble. He wasn't afraid to take on long shots. Um, you know, very capable passer. 76.5% passing accuracy, you know, decent enough there. Um, you know, I thought I did think he was the best guy on the pitch for the Revolution. Um, although I also thought Pania, you know, when he got the ball, looked, looked very dangerous as well. And it was a little bit disappointing that both Gale and Pania um, perhaps didn't see as much of the ball as, as he would have liked. Uh, but certainly positive signs from from Gill and what he can provide to this, or from from Heel. Sorry, I'm mispronouncing his na- name still. Um, but positive signs from Heel and, and what you'd expect to, for him to add to this team going forward. Another thing, too, I noticed uh, was that he was the free kick taker on, I think, two of the three free kicks yesterday. I'm not exactly sure of the numbers, but he had a a couple of really nice kind of lob free kicks, including that one in the first half that De La Mea should have finished off. Um, So I I think he's going to add a little bit on the free kick side as well. Um, I I think overall is a really, really great performance from uh hill uh so we're, we're getting our money's worth for our lone dp so i think that's as good of a debut as you could have asked for uh so yeah before we get to uh the back line though which we will uh, we have some thoughts on uh but you did mention uh christian Pania, a bit of a quiet game but when uh he did get the ball he was effective um i, I don't think you would kind of see this uh unless you looked at the stats but an 81 percent pass accuracy that now that's only out of 21 passes which is one of the lowest on the teams but he still had two key passes um so i i think going forward into next week uh, i imagine that friedel is going to figure out more ways to get uh heel and pania to uh be more of a stronger connection uh and for them both for for pania to get a few more touches don't you think yeah and i, I would note too those two key passes for him came in the first half um there were a few positive signs there was one play earlier where you know uh, Heel, Pania, and Castillo all combined to send a you know dangerous cross into the box, and I think that was one where Aguadelo got called for the foul. Um, but there were there were certainly some positive signs from three guys that you know are, are very good and very experienced on the ball um, and capable of, of creating things going forward. And that's a connection that'll be interesting to watch. I think it would be more interesting if Fagundes was also out there to combine with them. Um, but yeah, no, you know, Heel was making his debut. Castillo was making his debut. Um, you don't expect things to be perfect, but. Um, if those three players with Pania can can really get on the same page, I think it's going to be a very dangerous revolution attack on that left side. So now that we've kind of talked about the attack, I kind of want to go to that back line, which was mi- missing Michael Mansien. And I think before the game, we were all kind of expecting disaster. I know I was uh, kind of pulling your uh, captain, <laughs> kind of the center of your defense at the very last minute going into the season uh, that that could go pretty poorly um overall a little shaky to begin with but they finished very firm i thought uh, and you mentioned that you thought Jaleel anibaba has a case for player of the game so uh why don't you speak to that for a minute and uh i assume you feel that anibaba was the strongest defender out of them all uh what did you like so much about his performance yesterday yeah i, I definitely thought i was the strongest defender of them all he didn't create some you know bad turnovers we saw brandon by with a, a lot of bad turnovers um anibaba had a couple of really big blocks um, you know, of course, stepping in there for Mancian at the last minute, you got to give him a lot of credit for for what he was able to do. Um, but just overall, I thought he had a solid game, and which is more than can be said for for some of the other defenders. Um, so, 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 some of my thoughts there is just he you know performed better than the rest of the back line, um, and he stepped up in a, in a really difficult situation. And it's, it's hard to point to too many things that you know he made a mistake on, uh, which you know, wasn't always the case last season. 
Well, I was going to say, though, I, 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 I wasn't too impressed with the missed header that led to the goal on the other side um, because originally I, I felt De La Mea should have stepped up or, or in some way should have stopped Barrios. But De La Mea is kind of being tracked back. He only has Brandon Bahai behind him while Anibaba jumped up, uh, kind of pushed up field, missed the header. De La Mea was kind of on of his on his own knowing how Brandon Bahai is. You know, if, if Barrios gets by uh, De La Mea, I think De La Mea has as much confidence in Brandon Bay as you and I have. Uh, so um, I, I kind of felt Andy Baba deserved a little bit of criticism for that goal. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there. Uh, but other than that, Andy Baba had a very strong game. Uh, two tackles, three interceptions, a clearance, uh, that awesome blocked shot in the 20th minute, which turned into a uh, Brad Knighton punch straight up into the air. Uh, so, um, but yeah, overall, I think Andy Baba played better than I would have expected coming to this game just because we saw the De La Mea Anibaba center back pairing last year uh, and it had much worse results last year than it did Saturday. Yeah, no, that's a fair point on the on the header. Um, but overall, I did think Anibaba had a, a strong showing given given the situation he was put into. Um, you mentioned Brandon Bay. I think we, we got to talk, talk about him a little bit. Um, you know, his turnover was involved in that that goal they scored. And just in general, I didn't think he had a, a strong performance at all. His passing finished at 57.6%. Um, he had 55 touches, so the second most touches on the team. Um, but really, you know, defensively, he had issues getting beat. And offensively, I don't think he contributed very much. Uh, you know, we talked about how Farrell's probably the, you know, the certainly the, the starting right back when he's healthy. But um, this was, I, I thought, a disappointing performance from Brandon Bay, given an opportunity to, to kind of step up and, and prove he de- deserves more minutes when Farrell gets healthy. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because uh, with Edgar Castillo, it's obvious that the side that they the, the left side of the field is going to be the strong point for the Revs offensively. And we'll get to Castillo in a minute because I know a, a lot of Revs fans have uh, some negative thoughts about him. But um, yeah, Brandon Bay kind of he didn't really contribute anything offensively yesterday. Um, he is a liability defensively. I think um, not again, he's a converted right back. So, so I, I do think there's a little bit of potential for him, but um, I think yesterday is a game where you really miss Andrew Farrell, who's a little bit more reliable defensively. Um, he, he by, I think is an offensive type of player in that right back spot. And when you have Edgar Castillo on the left, I, I feel a lot of those pros uh, for him to get up the field and to get involved in the offense are kind of lost because he's, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like the left side is where you're going to attack. So he's just kind of over there. Uh, so yeah, overall, I, I don't think I was as harsh as by, I didn't think he was as bad, uh, but he certainly made some mistakes yesterday. And I, I do think he was the weak spot uh, in the back line yesterday. Um, the only other per- uh, a lot of people feel that uh, Castillo yesterday making his revs debut was uh, the weak spot. A lot of people are were not impressed with him too much, uh, and a lot of people point to the fact that Dallas was exploiting that right side uh, with Barrios, and a lot of their offense came from where Castillo should have been. Uh, but I, I think that's more tactics than Edgar Castillo's performance because we know that uh, you know Bradfield likes to get his wing backs up. Edgar Castillo uh, was doing a lot of overlapping runs and getting up into the attacking side of the field. Um, Sean, are you with me or are you kind of with uh, the majority of Revs Twitter that Edgar, on Edgar Castillo's performance? No, and I think it's it's partly you know the excuse for Brandon By to some extent too. And we talked about it a lot um, in preseason that Friedel seemed to be having his fullbacks push. You know, really far forward and left the center backs exposed. Um, and again, and I think part of this gets back to Zahibo and the type of player he is. I don't think he is the guy that's going to drop back and, and necessarily cover for those guys. And I think you need players that do that. You know, we know Caldwell is capable of it. I think Caicedo, 
you know, when healthy is capable of it. Um, so maybe if Caicedo gets the start, it's a little bit different. Um, the one thing I will say about Castillo, I thought, he, you know, in the first half, he was looked good offensively. In the second half, um, not so much. And I mentioned Zahibo's passing in the second half. Castillo was 6 for 15 in the second half. Um, he was another guy that you know, was passing pretty well in the first half and kind of fell off the map there um, in the second half. But yeah, if, if Frito's going to have his two fullbacks pushing forward and you know, Castillo was you know, pushed forward in that Barrios goal and that left the, the Revs a bit exposed. Um, and you know, like I mentioned on Twitter, Palmer kind of called it out just before that happened that you know, Brad Friedel was having Castillo and by push really far forward, and that was you know, leaving open those opportunities, especially with a guy like Barrios who has a lot of pace and, and loves running at guys. Um, you know, Castillo is known for his offensive ability and his talent there, and we saw flashes of that, and I think that's going to be very good for the revolution. Um, but if, if Brad Friedel's goal is to have his fullbacks really involved and contributing to the attack constantly, um, we're going to see performances like this throughout the season, and I don't know how much you can blame on Castillo, even if you had you know, a very good defensive left back. And I think Castillo is a decent defensive left back and a, a very, very, very good offensive left back. Um, you know, It doesn't make much of a difference if they're being pushed up the field and asked to play that way. And it should be mentioned that uh, if you look at Edgar Castillo's stats, you would think he was, you know, this amazing defensive stalwart. Uh, four tackles, six interceptions, two clearances. Um, he, he had a 6.9 uh, scoring on on who scored, uh, which you, you might think he had a really strong defensive game. But I think that's more a reflection of how much they were testing that uh, right side of the field and they were going at Castillo, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because – Castillo was out of position at times uh, be, because they had they wanted to get Barrios the ball. So I, I think if Edgar Castillo doesn't have as good of a, I'm going to say emergency defending, or uh, doesn't have as good of a, a strong game defensively, um, you know, I, I think that might result in more big play opportunities uh, for Dallas. Um, and, and you know, we talk about that one goal and Castillo being out of, out of the position. There were a few low crosses that were right across the face of goal uh, that were cleared out by De La Maya, and I think Caldwell had one. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of plays where you can point to the right wing that, um, you know, Dallas just didn't put one in the back of the net or, or they, they didn't have anyone there to tap at home. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think week one, it's pretty interesting to see Dallas going after Edgar Castillo compared to Brandon Bay, um, and I think that might be a little bit more positioning and Castillo getting up the field. Uh, but it still is interesting. <laughs> I, I I feel like I, if I'm a team looking at the Revolution, I'd be attacking Brandon Bay as I, as much as I am Edgar Castillo. Well, the one thing I will say there too is you know negative for Castillo in both you know him and Bay is if you're pushing these guys forward. You know, it, it's even more important that they're smart in possession. And, you know, we talk about buys, turnovers. You know, Castillo finished at 62.5% passing, which is, you know, pretty poor. Uh, Brandon Bay at 57.6%. And if those guys are stuck up the field, you know, they can't really turn the ball over. And that, you know, buys turnover kind of led to, to the, the first goal. And, there were too many turnovers throughout the night. And I mentioned, again, going back to Castillo's second half, 40% passing in the second half after 82% passing in the first half. That's a pretty incredible drop-off. Um, I don't know if you know, fitness played a role or, or what that was, but um, that's something that's a bit troubling. Um, while we're on the back line, I guess we might as well uh, go go with all four. Um, 
De, De La Maya, I felt, had a pretty decent game uh, overall. Uh, he was defending that the lone goal, which at the time I was a little upset about. But as I say, going back on replay, I don't think there's a whole lot he could have done differently. Um, the big, big uh, red mark on De La Maya's night was the missed header in front of goal in the 45th minute um, where ball's coming right across the net. He has a wide open, <laughs> wide open chance at it, uh, and he heads it high and wide. Um, but overall, three interceptions – five clearances. Um, he did end up uh, with a yellow card in the game, but he also ended up uh, with an assist on Carlos Hill's first MLS goal. Um, I, I guess, too, we, we talked about Jaleel Anibaba. We need to mention that cross uh, from the left wing uh, over to De La Maya, who headed it back to Hill. Um, it was a, a pretty decent play for two center backs to get the primary and secondary assists on that. But, um, Sean, overall, De La Maya's night, I kind of feel it was a bit average. He had a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Uh, Do you have any other thoughts on De La Maya? Yeah, he, there were a couple of times where he was kind of left one on one defending. Even before that goal, there was a you know one with where Baji had a, a chance that he was you know basically De La Maya was isolated. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he could have stepped up more to do more on that goal. But the the lasting impression from this game is uh, is that header that he missed. There were a couple of times where he you know committed dangerous fouls. I will say that you know weren't necessarily necessary and and gave difficult or dangerous free kicks for FC Dallas. But um, the more times I watched that replay of, of the chance that Dale may had at the end of the first half to, to equalize that score, it was really a sitter. Um, and yes, that's not his, his, his role isn't to, you know, score the goals, but he was in such a good position there to, to equalize for the revolution. That's, that's got to kind of haunt him um, even with getting the assist on the eventual winner late in the game. Yeah. And I was interested too. It's interesting you bring up the fouls because he ended the game with only four fouls. If you had asked me, I would have said six or seven. It seemed like he was uh, persistently fouling and, and kind of uh, really kind of getting under the skin of some FC Dallas players. But he ended up with four, which is the same as Teal Bunbury. It's the same as Juan Agadello. Um, so, uh, I, and he, he did get that yellow card for persistent fouling. It seemed like only a matter of time. I think the ref talked to him uh, a couple times before that. So, um, but yeah, overall, a, a pretty decent game. I, I think the memory that's going to stick out with a lot of people is that missed header that would have been his uh, first goal since 2017 and his second goal overall with the revolution. So yeah, overall, I I think if you were to grade the back line as a whole, you can't be disappointed. Uh, I think a lot of players did step up, but they did have some moments where you had flashbacks to last season, certainly with the Baji and Berrios kind of one-on-ones early in the game. You thought it was going to be a a game where they were going to be kind of exploited on the counterattack all night. Uh, But you have to give them credit. They really held firm in that second half. Yeah, the the one play that also sticks out is the the Holland's head chance in the 67th minute in which he was left wide open on a cross. And the Revolution had time to, to go back and um, have somebody cover him, and, and nobody stepped up to, to the plate to, to help on that play. So there were a few worrying moments from the defense, and I don't think the questions that we have about this defense um, were necessarily answered in this game. Uh, there were certainly, as you mentioned earlier, opportunities for Dallas to take advantage and, and do more than they did. Um, so I think the revolution were let off the hook a few times. So, you know, positives take away on the defense, but also I think there, those open questions that we had still exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, John, do you have any other thoughts about this game? I, I think overall, if we were to kind of put a cap on this game, I, I don't think you can be really that upset if you're a Revs fan. Uh, any points on the road 
feels like a win for the Revolution, who have been, I think they've won three games of the last two years on the road. Uh, this is their first point against Dallas in, I think, nine matches. Uh, I don't think they've gotten, they've lost every game against Dallas going back to 2011 or 2010. Um, if you look at the stat sheet, Dallas had 67.6% possession. They had an 85% pass uh, success rate compared to our 68%. Uh, if I'm a Revs fan, I'm really, really happy we came out of this with a draw. No, I think anytime you can get a draw on the road to open the season, it's it's absolutely a, a great result. Um, you know, again, the only thing I'll say is, you know, we had a lot of questions going into the season about the depth. Um, those questions certainly still remain, or or you know, are exacerbated certainly in the case of of the defense. Um, we had some questions about, uh, you know, who was going to be the, the the striker up top, and you know whether they could get you know fifteen goals out of one of their strikers. Um, those questions certainly still remain. Um, so yes, there's absolutely positives from this game. You know, one huge positive was they you know fell behind in the thirteenth minute and they didn't fold over. I think you know <laughs> when you watch that game, you saw them fall behind like that. Uh, based on some of those preseason results, you thought this game could quickly get out of hand. So uh, you know, great credit to to them. And as as Brad Friedel likes to talk about mentality their mentality there to you know hang on and what wasn't a great first half performance and kind of turn things around in the second half and and go and get an equalizer um but i you know like i said a lot of the questions we talked about last week i think are absolutely still there um and you know will probably still be there for another couple games until they prove they can you know, do this consistently and um can you know, stop a team that perhaps is more threatening than dallas was in this game I'm curious to see what lineup we get next week, too, because it feels like this lineup was crafted with the injuries uh, that coming out of preseason. Obviously, you know, Andrew Farrell, but it seemed like Luis Caicedo was out as well. Mancien, we don't know how long he is out. So I, I think we might see a similar lineup next week. And it'll be interesting to see how they hold up at home against a team like Columbus. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot they can improve upon. Uh, and, and maybe we get a stronger performance next week. Uh, but I could also see another kind of sloppy performance uh, going forward because a lot of these guys really aren't expected to be starters to go 90 minutes. So we'll see how it goes. Well, and, and with playing at home next week, um, I think there's got to be a different kind of change in, in what Brad Friedel looks at a game. If it's late in the game and they're tied 1-1, I think that's you know a home game. You try to go out and, and win it here. I think they were content to kind of kill the game and and you know, take a draw. Um, so I'd be very curious next week if they are in a situation where it's tied you know, in the 60th minute, if his substitution patterns is different, and if we see a guy like Renex to perhaps spark the offense, um, that might even be more telling next week if, if they're in that type of situation and we don't see those subs that we, you know, again, you know, very few subs this game and very late subs this game. And actually, on that note, I think this is a good time to transition into listener questions, um, which if you have a question or a comment uh, or a reaction based on a game, you can let us know uh, at Twitter on at Revolution Recap, uh, or you can uh, send us a message on Facebook on our Revolution Recap Facebook page. But Sean, uh, first question uh, is kind of along those lines. Uh, Mike Mike Kennedy asked us regarding subs, what were your thoughts on putting Renix in uh, for Teal uh, as a cameo? Uh, he really wanted to see Friedel uh, kind of play the young guys. And another guy, Adam McLean, on Twitter said the same thing. I, I kind of alluded to that earlier. Uh, I think that would have been a perfect position to put in Justin Rennicks. Get him a few minutes uh, in, you know, get a, get a couple minutes uh, under those legs. Uh, get his MLS debut kind of out of the way. Uh, you're putting on fresh legs for Teal. Um, but, you know, next situation-wise, 1-1 on the road. Maybe you want you don't want to change up too much. Um, what are your thoughts? Did you disagree with uh, the way Friedel handled that? 
No, I, I, I'm always a fan of fresh legs. Again, especially late in the game, even when you're talking about stoppage time, if you're content with the draw, you know, it, it makes sense to make a sub just to waste time. Um, and we did see that Casado sub in, in stoppage time or, you know, 90th minute. Um, so, you know, if you have an extra sub left on the bench, I, I, even again, if it's just to play like the last 30 seconds and waste time by making a sub, um, it, it is surprising to me that, that Friedel didn't do that. And I would like to have seen Renix and, and see what he could do coming on in this game. Um, you know, I, again, like we talked about, I don't think Teal had the best performance. Teal does offer a lot defensively as far as work rate goes, but, um, you know, it, it's difficult playing on the road in your first game of the season. And I'm sure there were some tired legs out there. Uh, so I was, you know, a little bit shocked that nobody else made it off the off the bench when there was that remaining sub. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Make a prediction. Will Justin Renux make his MLS debut next week? I think he will. I, I'm expecting him to. I, I thought he'd make his debut this week. Um, but again, like I said, being at home, I think the revolution will take a bit more of an offensive approach. Um, and in doing so, we'll you know, bring on a sub like Renix if they, again, either tied late in the game or even if they're winning to, to try to push, push the envelope a bit um, rather than you know, sitting back and being content to hold on for a draw. And another thing, too, is we, we've kind of done this spiel with uh, Friedel where la- I know last year he had a couple games where he used his subs very late or he only used one or two. And, we, and at the time we said, you know, I don't think he really trusts his depth. I mean, if you look at this bench, um, I mean, he's not going to bring in his second keeper he he wasn't going to use he had no center back to use uh so that was another spot that was going to go unused um i mean dewan jones buchanan and renix were the three he didn't use so assuming we go in the next week with a similar lineup um i imagine fagundes i imagine whoever is the uh defensive midfielder that is on the bench and then i imagine justin renix is the third guy off the bench I, I don't think they have a lot of depth right now with the injuries uh that that they've suffered so yeah i agree with you i think justin renix makes his debut next week even if it's only for five or ten minutes um i think we're going to see some fresh legs uh kind of on at the end of the game and i think justin renix is going to go out there and try to make an immediate impact um i i will say there's another question here on uh from mike kennedy uh, he asked how much influence did the new tactics and formation have on seeing out this result he says uh he suspects quite a bit um sean what'd you think of the tactics and the formation i actually didn't think the the tactics or the formation had changed all that much um, from last year, it was new pieces in it for sure, but it, you know, was still the the same four five one that um, we saw much of last season. It was still the you know, same two defensive midfielders, albeit you know Zahibo when we saw Caicedo mostly last year. Um, so there were some lineup changes, but I I didn't think tackling information they they did all that much different. They still played a pretty high line. Um, you know, perhaps late in the game they sat back a bit more than they they would have last year, um, but still a lot of pressing. And you know, when the pressing didn't work, I don't know if they did have that many ideas. This wasn't a team that again valued possession. They finished the game with thirty two point four percent possession, which is you know really low. Um, so I honestly didn't think there were that much changes tactically. Maybe I, I missed something, but um, my impression was not much had changed that that way. I will say I feel like Carlos Seal had a little bit more uh, freedom to kind of roam, you know, side to side. He seemed all over the place, uh, and it seemed that he had a little bit more freedom compared to Fagundes last off uh, last year when he was playing the ten position. So um, I, I feel that might have had a bit of an impact where they're kind of just trying to get him the ball as much as possible and kind of be like a point guard. Um, whereas Fugunas, I, I feel, was a little bit more kind of limited um, and, and kind of passed the ball more often, sent the ball out to the wings to Pania and Agadello, whereas I feel Gil, I don't know, they were kind of looking for him on w- when they were maintaining possession. Um, but overall, I, I think you're right. It's the same 4-2-3-1 we've always seen. It's the same 4-2-3-1 that I complained about a few weeks ago. Um, not, not a whole lot of... Uh, 
radical changes um, with the new personnel. Yeah, the one other thing I'll add there is it seemed like there was an emphasis on you know trying to switch the field a lot, and there were a lot of times the Revolution tried cross field passes. I think it's part of the reason why uh, Castillo's numbers were so bad in the second half passing wise is they kept trying to you know switch the point of attack and, and switch fields, and that really didn't work as a strategy for the team in this game. I thought that was something they they forced a bit too much and. That tactically didn't work. Yeah. Um, other one other question from uh, Mike Kennedy. Uh, he asked, uh, "Was Anibaba offside on the Revs goal?" I guess Paul Mariner said, or, or said something like, "Anibaba might have been offside." Uh, but Sean, you actually tweeted out a still frame uh, of the pass to Anibaba right before he crossed it, uh, which led to the goal. And Anibaba is clearly onside. Uh, so I don't think there's a whole lot we need to discuss on that one, uh, you know, uh, theory debunked. Um, and, and I will say I, I was watching the FC Dallas broadcast cause I was watching on MLS plus or, or sorry, ESPN plus. Um, and, and they didn't even mention that at all. So I'm not sure what Paul Mariner saw or, or said, but, um, he, I, I think he was alone in that. Well, the one thing, I, the one thing I will say there is on the initial time, the initial time I saw it, he was, you know, good five steps behind the defender by the time he got the ball. Um, so you do wonder how a center back like Annie Baba ends up that far behind the defense. Um, and that makes you question offside. And I questioned offside when I first saw it. And I was a little bit frustrated the Revolution didn't show more replays initially to to confirm that. Um, but when I did finally get to see a replay, it was clear that Annie Baba was, in fact, onside and, and pretty clearly onside when the pass was made. But I do get what Mariner was, was looking at because you, you don't expect to see your center back that far behind the defense in a situation like that. Um, you know, obviously a broken set piece that led to it, but you don't expect to see a center back onside and, um, you know, several steps behind a defender when he gets the ball. Yeah. As I said earlier, I, I can't remember the last time, uh, we, we had two center backs do the secondary assist and the primary assist. And I can't remember the last time that happened. It was kind of a strange play all the way around, but, uh, it ended up working out for the revs. That was their most efficient offense, uh, on the night. So, uh, James Downing has a couple of questions for us. Uh, first off, uh, is it a bad look tactically? And, and you mentioned this, Sean earlier, is it a bad look tactically for Friedel that Mariner called out what would happen if the wing backs pushed forward too much, allowing Barrios to find space? Yeah, I mean, it, it was predictable. Um, I think Friedel had to know he was taking that risk, though, um, and that he was willing to you know, sacrifice the defensive errors for having those guys push forward. Maybe he thought if he pushed Castillo and by forward the way he did that someone like Barrios would be you know pushed back, but that's not how Dallas is going to play at home. Um, so, I, you know, was it a bad look or was it actually what Friedel was, was willing to sacrifice? I'm, I'm not sure. I think Friedel had to have known that that was going to be um, the result. And to be fair, you know, it led to that goal. Um, it, you know, led to a couple other chances where Baji got in, in good spots where um, there wasn't a fullback there. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think Friedel just had to know that was, <laughs> that was what was going to happen if he took that approach. Um, but yeah, it, it was predictable. Yeah. And, and not just that too. Uh, sorry to cut in, but, uh, as I say, I was watching the FC Dallas, uh, broadcast and they interviewed Baji at halftime and he said, you know, they're really pushing up. They're really pushing th- their back line up really far. And we're going to try to take advantage of that in the second half. Um, so, I mean, I, I, Dallas certainly knew that was an area to exploit that when that defensive line pushed back up and when the wingbacks pushed forward, um, they were going to try to get behind them with Barrios and with Baji. Um, so yeah, overall, I, I, I'm really surprised Dallas only put one on the board, but, uh, I think that Revs defense, I th- they were very, very, very different in the final 60 compared to the first 30. And I don't know what changes they made because those wingbacks still pushed up a lot, it seemed like to me. Um, but they seemed to recover a little bit better uh, after that goal, I would say. 
Yeah, and I think probably Zahibo and Caicedo were, were given instructions to drop back a bit more when those guys push forward. And that's the only way it's going to work is if, you know, when Somi, or not Somi, when Castillo makes a, an attempt to, to push forward, if, you know, Caldwell drops back in space and kind of covers warm. Um, and that's just, you know, if, if the Revolution are going to play that way, they need to see more of that. I, I will actually cut in here and we're going to drop down to a different question because uh, there is someone who, who's touching on that um, at Dendon 29. Uh, at, he said uh, he was impressed with uh, Castillo's work rate and defensive t- toughness. Uh, he thinks it'll allow for overlapping runs with Pania and it frees up Pania to uh, attack a little bit more. Uh, but on that note, uh, do you play Zahibo or Scotty on the left to stop the counterattacks? Uh, both are not very quick, but uh, Scotty is faster, question mark. Uh, he's kind of questioning that because – and I had the same thought too. Um, who's faster? Who do you rely on to kind of shore up that left side? I mean I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but uh, Scott Caldwell um, you know, for years did that for Chris Tierney and did a phenomenal job of it. So I think the obvious answer is, is Scott Caldwell because we, we know he can do it. Um, again, like I said, we didn't see as much of it this game as we've seen in the past. But when Jay Heath was the coach and Chris Tierney was the left back, uh, Caldwell was very frequently dropping back there and filling in for him. And you know, like I've said before, Scott Caldwell made Chris Tierney look good and made Chris Tierney, allowed Chris Tierney to push forward like that. So I think that's you know, the obvious answer. So I have a I have a quiz here for you, Sean. You ready? I'm so ready. I I when I saw this question, I uh, wanted to do a little bit of research. So I went to our advanced uh, scouting methods that we do here at Revolution Recap, which is looking up FIFA ratings. Um, I am going to tell you Wilfred Zahibo's uh, rating on pace, and I want you to tell me what you think Scott Caldwell's is. Uh, Wilfred Zahibo has a 60 rating on pace. That's 58% acceler- 58 on acceleration and 61 on sprint speed. What do you think Scott Caldwell's is? So both of those guys, I think, are relatively not, you know, relatively slow. Um, I would put Scotty very similar to Zahibo and might even guess the same. Scott Caldwell has a 42 rating on pace. Eesh. His acceleration and sprint speed is 42. And I also looked up Christian Machado, who has a 67 pace with a 69 acceleration and a 66 sprint speed. And I think this is an absolutely horrible injustice that Scott Caldwell is apparently the slowest soccer player in the MLS. I was stunned that he is a 42 percent because I, I was going to go with I was going to say the exact same thing with you, that Scott Caldwell probably can get back and probably cover the left side a little bit more. But apparently uh, the good people at EA Sports think uh, Scott Caldwell uh, has the speed of Bartolo Colon. So <laughs> I am I mean, if I was a, in FIFA, I would expect a pace higher than 42. And I am extremely unathletic. I am not close to my glory days at all. So I, I, I was horrified at that. I just felt that was relevant that, I, I don't know, I'm very offended for Scott Caldwell. I'm just disappointed you didn't take your research a step further and check out football manager ratings so we could uh, compare and <laughs> contrast to see if they both are in agreement on this. <laughs> well, I have FIFA. I don't have I don't have the latest update in uh, in Football Manager, but that is a good that is a good choice. I should compare FIFA to Football Manager to see uh, where where Scott Caldwell is because I I didn't realize that Scott Caldwell uh, has plays soccer with cement in his shoes. I had no idea. I uh, mean, he's not someone that strikes me as a particularly fast player, but that does seem you know forty two really bad forty two, well, especially when compared to Zahibo, who is not particularly pacey either. To be that like. You know, 20 points lower than him. Eight, that 18 points lower. 18, point 18 lower, points yeah. lower. He's 16 points lower on acceleration and 19 on sprint speed. So uh, yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> that's a really slow defensive backfield. If you were to take that revolution lineup and play it in FIFA, your defensive midfield is incredibly slow. But anyway, but yeah, I, I mean, 
FIFA ratings aside, I agree with you. I think it's Scott Caldwell. Um, assuming that Caicedo one is not uh, in the game, uh, assuming he's out, if we're going with this defensive pairing, I think you have to have Scott Caldwell kind of cover. Uh, and, and for the reasons you said that he's been doing it for years with Chris Tierney. Just, um, just to add to your research there, Scott Caldwell was a 55 in pace just two years ago. So I don't know what happened there. I guess that I age caught up to him. Wow. <laughs> Talk about hitting your man. Poor Scott Caldwell. I don't know what's happened in the last two years, but man, has he been playing with like a walker? <laughs> I mean, I, I have not noticed the drop off in pace from uh, from two years ago, but maybe I just haven't paid attention. He uh, he's not very old either, isn't he? Twenty seven, twenty seven. So apparently, age twenty six was really bad for Scott Caldwell. His knees just blew out at twenty six. It's a shame. <sighs> moving on, moving on from from crapping all over these FIFA ratings to uh, to uh, <laughs> making fun of the revs for their lack of depth. Uh, James Downing asks us, uh, "How incredibly revs is it?" that the major offseason talking point is that there's no defensive depth and by gets trotted out for Farrell, who's out and uh, the highest paid defender Mancien gets hurt in warmups. I would say that's very revs. I would say that is very, very revs. And I, I, I don't want to say we all saw it coming, but I think we all were kind of walking on thin ice and, and feeling like one injury kind of really broke this defense. And um, not to say I should say it, it shouldn't broke it. It doesn't break the defense, but really right now, their defensive subs are Gabriel Somi, who they want nothing to do with, and a guy who was playing uh, attacking wing for Michigan State six months ago. So uh, I, I think it's very revs, and I think it – I don't want to say it's very predictable, but, I mean, I'm not surprised that this happened. Like how often – I mean how many – when's the last time you went into a revolution season and were comfortable with the revolution's depth at defense? I can't remember. It, ha- it might go back to the nickel error to, to find a point where you were actually comfortable with the revs' depth in defense. It comes up every single year, and they, they never do enough to fix it. You know, they make some stopgap measures, but they never do enough to fix it. You know, how many times have we seen you know, Andrew Farrell be the, the next guy up at center back, so they move their primary right back to center back, then have to find somebody else to play right back. Um, you know, they get into an Open Cup game, and they're shoving midfielders at, at defense because they don't have enough backups. Um, that's been the case for several seasons now. So it is incredibly revs, <laughs> as James put it. Um, to, to see that be the case again this year because it, it's been the case really every single year for the revolution. Um, you know, honestly, I think probably back till at some point in the Steve Nickel era because it's, it's just crazy. Uh, and you know what the other crazy thing too is that the, the, the roster got published and there's 26 spots filled on the roster, 26 out of 30. And that's more than in recent years. In recent years, they've gone into the season with 21, 22, 23. And, and, and uh, Biello goes on, you know, does these interviews where he talks about roster flexibility. I mean, the roster is a little bit more filled out, but it seems like there's still those glaring, <laughs> glaring needs in the back line. Um, so it, it is interesting that there's still this big, big hole, uh, especially at center back now uh, with Mancien out. As I say, I think Sahibo has the size and the strength to potentially play center back on an emergency basis. But I mean, I don't think that's a very good option. We talked about their options. It's all pretty crappy. So um, I am curious to see if that elite DP overseas guy that is maybe coming, maybe not. I don't know. They're still kind of hinting at it. I assume that's a center back. I assume that they had something planned in the offseason that fell through or it's in the works and this all just kind of blew up in their face in week one. But, man, it is not good. Not not. They're one injury away from a total disaster. And honestly, as much as we like crap on the benefit of the, the super draft at this point, you know, why not? 
take a flyer on somebody in the third round of the super draft to at least have a camp, you know, a body in camp to, to see if you could be your fourth center back or your, you know, your, your third string right back or some, some option at fullback. Um, Cause you, you look at their elusions preseason, you know, other than Giles Phillips, they're, they're, I don't really think they had anyone on, and on trial at defense where you know, usually they find somebody to, to go in and at least get, get a look at. So, you know, again, the super draft is a complete crapshoot by, especially by the time you get to the third round, but you know, why not take a defender just to, have an extra body and give him a chance and well and josh smith uh a few years ago i think in the 2017 season was the fourth round pick i, I think he made a spot start against seattle and he played pretty well uh he played pretty well overall um the reason though I, I think to answer your question is that uh based on that roster the supplemental roster and the reserve roster was both filled um so i think because those spots were filled they didn't want to bring in another player from the super draft that kind of lessened the value of the super draft because then you have more players moving up to the senior roster. So uh, my guess is they had the supplemental and the reserve rosters filled. They didn't really see a need to bring in another player, but they could have brought in a player just to camp like we've talked about. Um, so I, I, playing devil's advocate, that would be my guess. Well, and, and honestly, in this situation, um, the revolution we're in this last game, if, if somebody had got, if a fullback had gotten hurt, wouldn't you have been more comfortable with even Mark Segbers on the bench than the situation they had? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But yeah, I, I trust I trust Mark Segbers, who had one half of MLS soccer last year and seemed to do pretty well, as opposed to Jawan Jones. But as I say, I, I think maybe they kind of feel like they can just convert, you know, whoever back and get the same same uh, kind of production uh, as you would out of Mark Segbers. Which, as I say, Mark Segbers wasn't amazing, wasn't spectacular. I don't really blame them for letting him go, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if they end up going out and adding another player. Or loaning a player uh, on a short-term loan uh, to play center back because really that's where they're going to need a player. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to need someone at right back or left back because, as we've talked about, I think Brad Friedel is kind of okay with those guys being uh, a bit of a liability as long as they provide some uh, offensive production. But I think center back, if Henny Baba or Delamaya goes down, that's a big issue. Well, I, I think fullback is almost equally as as you know a problem defensively depth depth wise because right now Castillo goes down. Um, you know, I think Somi is so much on the outside looking in right now that it doesn't even they don't even go to him. Um, so they're left with you know, Jones playing there. So it, I agree with you that center back is, is really troubling, but I'm not sure that fullback actually is much less troubling depth-wise at this point. Um, both of those are positions they really need to go out and, and find somebody for. And um, you knew they really needed to go out and find somebody for before the season started. I, kind of, I don't want this to happen, but I am very curious to see what would happen if Edgar Castillo went down. Because you're right, I could see him not playing Somi, which is crazy to think about, but... I don't know. Um, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to the positives, uh, Zach Grimes on Twitter asks us, uh, does this team already seem mentally stable slash tough? If so, how much will that benefit the team uh, throughout the rest of the season? Uh, Sean, how important is mentality? <laughs> oh, Friedel's favorite question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I think I found Brad Friedel's burner account. <laughs> like, Brad Friedel's waiting for the first game where they look mentally tough to ask us this question. I mean – because Brad Friedel definitely listens to us. There, there are a lot of good things going on um, in this game that you can take away, you know, mentally. Um, like we said, Mancian going down, Andy Baba stepping up. You know, Scott Caldwell wasn't the captain to start the game; it was going to be Mancian. They gave it to Caldwell. Um, you know, they fell behind in the 13th minute, and they really fought back. Uh, you know, slow starts you can point to on the other end of the thing. They, they had a lot of slow starts last year, and they had a slow start in this one. But um, you know, overall, I think yes, this game did show a lot of. Uh, you know, mental toughness from the revolution. Um, 
after one game, am I willing to say this team is you know very immensely tough and it will you know lead throughout the rest of the season? No, but a lot of positive signs there. Um, and again, you know, games like this last year, I think when the Revolution fell behind in the thirteenth minute, they'd pretty much fold over, and that wasn't the case um, in this game. So yeah, a lot of a lot of positives in the the mental toughness area. <laughs> Well, and I, I think we've seen the negatives of what happens when you're not mentally tough. And, and I mean, the very obvious, you know, recency bias example is after that Galaxy game, you could just feel the air going out of their tires. I mean, that was a real backbreaker. And you can kind of see the players didn't have the energy to respond. So absolutely. I think when uh, you have a team that, you know, everything goes wrong for you in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then you're able to go out on the road um, in kind of poor conditions with a bad pitch and get that goal back and hold steady and not concede the rest of the game. Uh, uh, they, they really dealt with a lot of uh, tough conditions and tough elements yesterday, and the players deserve a lot of credit uh, for holding firm and getting the point. Uh, so, yeah, if this adds a little bit of momentum and goes into next season – or not next season, next week, and they get three points at home, um, I mean – they started strong last year. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see another strong start going into the summer. Now, the question is, will they be able to carry that over the rest of the season? I'm not so sure because a lot of these players are the same. And, and if they get another bad demoralizing loss, things might go sideways really quickly. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100 percent. It's too soon to, to say this is going to go through the rest of the season. The positive signs are absolutely there, but um, I'm not going to make any you know sweeping uh, observations on what that's going to mean going forward at this point. So uh, moving back on to Somi, and, and you might have a chance for a bit of a rant here because this involves Somi's potential buyout, which you advocated for. Um, Joe on Twitter asks us, uh, don't want to be negative after a solid performance, but Colorado bought out Gashi, who was a DP with uh, them, with the Rapids. Uh, Colorado bought out Gashi, and we don't even buy out Somi, who's n- obviously not in our plans. What does that say about the revolution's ambition if we can't keep up with Colorado? <laughs> That's pretty, pretty harsh comparison. Um, plenty of teams did buy out players for a lot more money uh, than what Gabriel Somi costs. And it is something that every offseason you have the opportunity to buy out one player um, and have them not count against the cap. Um, so it is a little bit surprising to me that they wouldn't do that. He's taking up a international roster spot. Um, he's taking up 425,000 or, you know, something around there and, and salary cap space. Um, yeah. You know, if, if the revolution want to be competitive this season, they need to take full advantage of, you know, every, dollar in every international spot they can um and you know the fact that they didn't buy out somi and then you know week one andrew farrell's out the revolution have zero fullback depth and he can't make the bench um you know i i, I don't think that speaks very well of, of the revolution's decision making or the revolution's willingness to you know throw away throw money at you know what was obviously a bad signing and, and move on other than you know, Somi is the emergency left back option and, you know, Farrell and Mancien and Edgar Castillo and, you know, Haravu and, you know, outside of have, you know, having him there just as a body who can play left back. Is there any other benefits to keeping him on the roster? Because it seems like they do have one international spot open, but they plan on bringing in someone to fill that spot. So then they have zero international spots. Um, and, and in the past two teams have traded their international spots for allocation money. So you could buy out Somi and trade his, 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 uh, uh, his international spot and get something in return. It'd be a positive. So uh, other than Somi potentially could fill in for Castillo in the open cup game. And in the case of crazy injuries, is there anything, any potential positive to why they didn't buy him out? Cause it seems like he wants to go. I'm not saying this, like Somi should 
you know, shouldn't be, be allowed to be on a soccer field. I, I think he wants to leave. And I think it would do both parties well if he was allowed to leave. So is there any reason the revolution would keep him? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a negative to have a guy like that on the team that, you know, is going to be on the outside looking in a veteran player that expects to play and, and clearly isn't going to be playing. I don't think that's necessarily a, a good thing um, for the rest of the team, even you know, ignoring the fact of that he's taking up money and taking up an international roster spot. I don't know how you spin it um, really in any way as a positive. Yeah, I will say, though, um, you know, compared to uh, in, in this case, Gashi was a designated player, which I feel is you have more of a reason to buy him out because there's only three designated player spots. And then the third one, you have to pay MLS a fee. Um, so I understand why a designated player might get bought out compared to uh, Somi, who isn't occupying a DSP spot. He's only occupying an international spot. Um, I do think it's a little bit of a different comparison, but the sentiment overall... More money to buy at a DP, though. <laughs> Correct. No, no. Overall, the sentiment is about the same, that you know the Rapids are making moves. And I think the Rapids, too. The other thing, too, is that uh, you know Colorado and New England, I feel, are the most comparable owner-wise. Is that a fair statement? Where Because uh, Colorado is conky, right? Yeah, no, I think I think it is a, a fair comparison owner wise for sure. Cronky and Kraft both have multiple uh, <laughs> franchises and uh, both have been accused of not paying the most attention to their MLS franchise. So um, I, I think it is interesting to see Colorado make a move that we expected and uh, <laughs> the Crafts do not. So um, moving on to some listener comments, just uh, overall general reactions of the game. Uh, I'll run through these. Uh, Any Revs UK uh, said, first half, we stayed, uh, we did good enough in the game to stay in the game. Uh, sorry, let me start over. <clears throat> Any Revs, first half, we did enough to stay in the game without being good. Second half, we actually played some good football for half an hour. Uh, we call it soccer over here, but that's okay. I'll let it slide. Uh, Gil and Pania need the ball more. Uh, don't play a teal out wide. We didn't get a red card. Use subs earlier. Uh, in a nutshell, I think we agree with all those statements, wouldn't you say, Sean? Um, the one thing I will say is that uh, I, I still think I have more faith in Teal Bunbury out wide. I, I, th I would like to see him maybe there one or two more games, but um, and, and I'm not putting a whole lot of faith into or a whole lot of um, emphasis on one game. But I don't know your sh uh, your thoughts, Sean. No, I, I agree with everything that was said there. I think um, you know I'd rather see Fagundes at right mid um, in the next game. Uh, than Teal. I don't, I, again, I think Teal can offer a lot off the bench as the striker or on the right, but I don't think he's your everyday starting right wing. Uh, Shane, Kilo oh boy, I hope I say your name right. Shane Kalbalian? Oh, I'll get used to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll certainly take this point. They were showing signs of sloppiness early, but definitely looked like the looked better in the second half. Great response. Uh, he will make an impact on the team with his creativity. Lots of upside with you. Uh, now give Pania more touches and perhaps start Diego over Agudelo, and then you have a dangerous front. Um, I'm curious to see if Diego gets more starts up front uh, at striker uh, as opposed to the right wing. Maybe they're trying to avoid him using on the right, but it was interesting to see Diego move in for Agudelo. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... That's a solution to have Diego. I don't. I think probably the suggestion here, reading into it, is to have Diego on the right and Bunbury up top or something like that. But I, I just don't think it makes much sense to to put Diego up top after you've gone out and gotten a guy like Eric Castillo, who's you know great at putting balls into the box. Um, you know, Faguna is, is a great player and offers a lot for the team. But one thing he's not is a you know great target. 
um, on crosses. So for the revolution to go out and get Castillo, and then um, if you know Fagundes is going to be more than you know, sub or occasional spot start up top, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I agree, like as we said earlier, that Aguadilla didn't have the best game, Bumber didn't have the best game. Um, I think the hope is probably that you know Juan Caicedo, if, if those two don't get it done, can can step up and play. Um, I think you know he was questionable going into this game and, and didn't make the 18, so I assume he wasn't ready. But um, that would strike me as more of the solution if you're not happy with Aguadelo than than sticking Diego up top. Uh, and wrapping it up, uh, Alex Welsh says, uh, disappointed to see Teal on the wing over Diego, which kind of goes with what we were just talking about. Uh, disappointed not to see Caicedo, one, not going to start. Disappointed to see, not see Renix off the bench. Uh, pumped to see he'll get a goal and happy to leave Dallas with a point, uh, which I think is the perfect, as I say, in a nutshell, I, I, I think there are little things we were disappointed with uh, and, and some things we wanted to see. But overall, you can't complain too much. As I said, the Revolution are unbeaten going into week two. So, uh, you know, gets the team that has given us a lot of trouble in recent history on the road uh, with some injuries, missing your captain. Uh, really, really solid point for the Revolution. Um, so if you would have a question or a comment you'd like us to read on the podcast, you can send them over uh, on the Revolution Recap Facebook page or our Twitter handle at Revolution Recap. Uh, and please follow us on those platforms uh, if you haven't already. Um, next week is the Revolution home opener uh, against Columbus at 2 p.m. Uh, Columbus coming off of a 1-1 draw against New York Red Bulls, uh, although I, I I, I did not look at lineups, but from what I understand, the Red Bulls had some uh, rotation because they're playing in the Champions League. So it might have been a, more of a Red Bulls, you know, A slash B team. Uh, so, But overall, I think it'll be a really good test. Another Eastern Conference opponent who has playoff hopes uh, should be a really, really strong matchup overall. Um, that about wraps us up. Sean, do you have any uh, shout outs or parting thoughts uh, for this week? Yeah, just I, I think the, the upcoming game against Columbus is going to be a huge test for the Revolution. Um, you know, Columbus is you know very strong team last year. They you know exceeded the odds and, and did well despite all the, the drama off the field. Um, and you know, going home for the Revolution, uh, they did a great job getting a draw the first game of the season. Now they get to go home and really got to play for three points. I think um, if the Revolution are, are going to be successful this year, they, they need three points at home a lot, and they didn't get that enough last season. Um, so this game is going to be big for the team and, and very big for me um, to see what Brad Friedel does tactically. And I, I expect him to take a more offensive approach you know in a game like this with the substitutions and perhaps with the way the team plays so um, I, I'm excited to see what they do in their home opener I don't know I, I don't really have a shout out but I am I, I mean I can't tell you how much the 42 Caldwell rating for pace bothers me so I don't know how like the Twitter campaigns work but I, I think Revs fans need to I don't know we, we need to band together and we need to improve Scott Caldwell's rating we really need to put some pressure on EA Sports because that is a great injustice in my opinion horrible horrible rating scott deserves a lot better that's our captain that's our captain when michael mancien is out i'm curious like what his pace compares to like cody crop or like the revolution's goalkeeper so that's like that strikes me as like a goalkeeper yeah pace rating. I, <laughs> maybe that should be our for our listeners with fifa maybe try to find someone with a lower pace rating that's kind of like the homework yeah pre- you, a field player you guys aren't actually doing work when you go to work, like in your cubicle when your boss isn't around. Google FIFA ratings. Let me know if you find anyone with a lower speed rating than Scott Caldwell. Yeah, that's not I, a goalkeeper. I, that is not a goalkeeper. I mean, yeah, I'll take a goalkeeper because yeah. I mean Matt Turner is his pace rating is probably like eighty. So I would, <laughs> I, I would go out on a limb and bet Brad Knighton is rated slower than Scott Caldwell, but. <laughs> I, I would hope so, but I we'll, we'll, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be going through. So I'll update you guys next week if I find anyone. Um, Sean, where can people follow you on uh, Twitter? 
yeah, you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. And I also want to apologize to our guest last week, uh, Seth from the Bent Musket. Uh, I apparently cut him off before he read off his Twitter handle, uh, which my bad. Uh, you can follow him at SethMan31 uh, and also follow the Bent Musket at the Bent Musket. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and like our Facebook page, Revolution Recap. Uh, also, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, we will be back next week following the home on opener against Columbus to kind of break it down, break down the lineups, see if we approve of Brad Friedel's subs a little bit more than we did this week uh, and kind of go over uh, the team's performance overall. So until then, thank you for listening. Last thought. Brad, Brad Knight, 59 speed. <laughs> Man, that's not even close. <laughs> he's, he's got it. Oh. But, but Cropper and Turner are less than him. So so uh, find us somebody other than those two that is lower than Scott Caldwell. And, outside uh, of a goalkeeper. Outside of a goalkeeper. Outside of a goalkeeper. All right. Well, anyway, again, thanks for listening.